Welcome to Treasure Mountain, the podcast that inspires and guides us to find the treasure within human experience. I'm your host, Saul Hanna. Joining us on this episode is a humble yet trailblazing monk from the forest tradition lineage of Ajahn Chah, who is now the senior most bhikkhu at Abayagiri Buddhist Monastery in California. I'm speaking, of course, of the venerable Ajahn Pasano. Ajahn Pasano took ordination in Thailand in 1974 with Venerable Pra Kru Nyana Siribatna as a preceptor. During his first year as a monk, he was taken by his teacher to meet Ajahn Chah, with whom he asked to be allowed to stay and train. One of the early residents of Wat Pa Nanachat, Ajahn Pasano became its abbot in his ninth year. During his incumbency, Wat Pa Nanachat developed considerably both in physical size and reputation. Spending 24 years living in Thailand, Ajahn Pasano became well-known and highly respected monk and Dharma teacher. He moved to California on New Year's Eve in 1997 to share the abbotship of Abayagiri with Ajahn Amaro. In 2010, Ajahn Amaro accepted an invitation to serve as abbot of Amaravati Buddhist Monastery in England leaving Ajahn Pasano to serve as the sole abbot of Abayagiri for the next eight years. In spring of 2018, Ajahn Pasano stepped back from the role of abbot and now serves as the guiding elder for the community. Now I have a quick note for listeners. I had a lot of problems with delayed echoes across the original recording. I did a lot of editing to remove that echo and I believe I've removed all of that which can be removed without changing the flow of the interview. I think it's turned out quite well, but there are a few points at which we have echo or less than optimal audio. In any case, I think that this is a really interesting interview in which one of the most senior Western disciples of Ajahn Chah reflects upon a life and the changing times as Buddhism comes to the West. I hope you all enjoy this interview with Ajahn Pasano. Ajahn Pasano, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you today? Very good, thank you. Good to be here. Uh, look, I'd like to get stuck into understanding your early life. Uh, I believe you grew up in Manitoba in Canada, up in the up in the north of Manitoba indeed. And I was wondering what it was like growing up in such an isolated place and whether this influenced you towards a spiritual philosophical inquiry from a young age. Um, I don't know that it influenced me other than drove me to it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> northern, I, I was about, say, about 600 miles north of the American border, uh, small town, pretty rough. Um, I was really, uh, <clears throat> and not much. Uh, spiritual kind of examples, really, so that into so it just I think it it ignite certainly in me it ignited a, a kind of a yearning. So you felt like you just wanted to get away and maybe see the world, or 
Did you feel like yes, there must that, be something something different? Yeah, exactly. I, I say there's got to be something more than this. <laughs> mm, yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Um, after you grew up and you went to college um, in Winnipeg, you travelled around the world and ended up in Thailand. What set you off on this journey around the world? Uh, well, it was both a yeah, both a, a, a yearning for something other than <clears throat> than what I grew up with, <clears throat> and even what I was was found at university, just sort of looking for something. Mm. And uh, but then, even when I was at university, I did get introduced to Buddhism. I did. Uh, uh, I mean, I took uh, uh, courses in 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 religion. A couple courses, and that that uh, uh, really stimulated my interest and uh, Eastern religion. But what really stood out to me was Buddhism. And then I I started <clears throat> reading, and there was no I I really never ever found a, a a place to learn meditation or anybody who was meditating. Um, it was it was really just from the books. And uh, so I, I did uh, uh, mostly, and in those days, most of the books were about Japanese Zen. <clears throat> so I had a, a I formulated a, an idea in my mind that I would like to go to Japan and study Buddhism because that was the main thing that I, I came across uh, in my readings, although I did read about Theravada Buddhism, I did read about Tibetan Buddhism, um, but the the you know the most popular thing in those days, because that was late sixties, uh, mm. was the and and into early seventies, um, the most popular thing was 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 Zen, uh, and it did have an express um, inclination to, to meditation. And that seemed and intuitively. I was drawn to the meditation element, but of course, I mean, if I really wanted to go really quickly, I was re if I were really motivated, I could have gone from Vancouver to to Japan. But uh, I didn't. I went. I went the long way around and started in in Europe and traveled through Europe, Middle East, um, India, Nepal. Overland, mm. and you never did. You never did make it to Japan. You stopped at I Thailand. I still haven't made it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so why why Thailand? What would um, what was that attracted you when well, you went to Thailand? Well, one, I had, I, one, you just had to pass through Thailand, and I didn't really know anything about Thailand. I didn't really know that it was a Buddhist country, even, and. Uh, but then you get there, and it's it's obvious that Buddhism is everywhere, and and then the elements of the society and culture that I, I found really attractive, and the uh, just the kind of warmth of the people and easygoing nature of the of the culture. Uh, it's just that well, you know, the major conditioning influence in in their uh, here is the uh, uh, is Buddhism so I should study Buddhism and then you know there is uh, there were monasteries everywhere and I 
started checking and asking and there was uh, opportunities to learn about meditation. Mm. Did you go on a retreat there or because you ended up ordaining in Bangkok? How, how did that all come about? I did. Well, I did go on a retreat. My, my, the first, my introduction to meditation was a one month long Mahasi Sayadaw kind oh. of in, intensive sort of in a room by myself for, you know, for 18 hours <laughs> That's a day. pretty intense. Uh, yeah, it was, and and uh, but I I loved it. Um, mm. So I felt really drawn. I felt oh, this is something I really can explore and and uh, really have to explore. So then I went, uh, I, and I had to that where I did this this retreat was up in the north of Thailand, and I had to go back down to <clears throat> to Bangkok because of some. Uh, um, uh, embassy business uh, for a passport. I had to renew my passport. So I was uh, there. I'd heard about a monastery uh, in the outskirts of Bangkok that had a very good English library as well as a meditation section uh, as a part of the monastery. So I uh, went there and, yeah, studying, meditating. And then the monks, after a while, seeing me sort of practicing and staying there, that that I, uh, they kind of said, "Well, why why not ordain? Are you going to ordain?" And and I said, "No, I couldn't ordain. I, mean, I can't live like couldn't live like this for the rest of my life." And uh, <laughs> you know, which was my assumption from say like from Catholic tradition. Um, but then they said, oh, no, in Thailand, you don't need to ordain for the, you know, for your whole life. You can just do it for a short period of time of, of a, f a few months, if you like. That's ordinary for Thai, Thai men to do that. So then, I thought, oh, a few months, well, I can do that. Mm. And, and that was the extent of my, my, my commitment. And so then I, I took that ordination and, you know, they didn't really give me any training. But then I started hearing about the forest monasteries, uh, in the, especially in the northeast of Thailand, and then heard about Ajahn Chah. And it was that, uh, that really piqued my interest. So... Uh, how did it come to be that you ended up with um, with Ajahn Chah? What, what was it like that first time that you met Ajahn Chah? Well, the first time I met Ajahn Chah was really intimidating uh, because I did. I was really newly ordained. Uh, my uh, teacher at where I took ordination encouraged me to go up. Uh, he says, Ajahn Chah is a very good teacher. Uh, go up and pay respects and spend a bit of time. So then I, I did. I took his suggestion, went up there, and um, I ar arrived. And it's you, you pay respects to this senior monk, the teacher, when you, you arrive. So I did that. And then Ajahn Chah just kind of looked at me, you know, with you know, no real expression. And then he just said, uh, if you want to stay here, you have to stay at least five years. 
<laughs> well, what was your reaction to that to be intimidating? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was intimidating. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, five years, I, five years, I, you know, I'm in my early 20s. I mean, five years is the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And so I just couldn't quite get my mind around that even though I did love the monastery and the uh, him as a teacher and the kind of community and the example of the, of the lay community as well. I mean, there just seemed to be such sincerity uh, that I was really drawn to it. But yeah, just that idea of, of, of a long-term commitment uh, was just too much. So I left after a month and then... Right. Uh, and then I went and stayed in a, it was a small meditation monastery in central Thailand. And uh, the, uh, the teacher there was, he taught a particular method. Uh, he was quite well known at the time. He had a few Western disciples, so, uh, you know, I wasn't too strange. And he did have a uh, monk who could do some, uh, translation an Indian monk was could translate his teachings so I, uh, I I stayed there and practiced although at that early few months of that then he was he wasn't there so much he was he was back and forth he was in the process of kind of winding down a monastery that he had lived at as a teacher for a while and he was building his own place so I was in this new quite small place. So it was very quiet and it was out in the countryside. And I was able to do a lot of practice and I really enjoyed it. And then uh, I was there for longer and longer. Then I just kept thinking of Ajahn Chah that I've got to go back. I've got to go back and give myself to Ajahn Chah. You know, five years is you've got to do it. Wow, yeah. That, that's a big decision for such a young man as well. And I think Westerners, we don't necessarily like the idea of committing, certainly not for no. life, you know. Yeah. Oh, commitment is anathema, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we want to go and have a good yeah. time. And yeah, yeah, so it's, yeah. Well, and, that's, and that's quite natural at that, that age. Hmm. Uh, that's what that's what one, uh, uh, um, you know, it's, it's about, that's what one is drawn to. But uh, the pull to the example of Ajahn Chah and uh, the example of the monastics in the monastery, uh, it, that was that really, really pulled me. So you went back to um, Ajahn Chah and Wat Papong. What yeah. was, were there any me memories from that period of um, training with Ajahn Chah that really stand out in your mind? Well, I think, well, I mean, just one is just how difficult it was. <laughs> mm, yeah, right. The, in uh, what way? In what way? Some people who are listening may not know. In what ways did you find it? Well, I mean, quite in difficult? those days, you know, that was the, the early 70s, so that, uh, um, you know, conditions were very austere. The northeast of Thailand is extremely, it's the poorest part of Thailand. And, uh, and so that, uh, yeah, conditions were very austere. There just wasn't, like we, oftentimes you wouldn't have, 
flashlights for your battery to 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 you know go back and forth from your, your dwelling your your dwelling place in the forest. Um, you have to at night. It's it's dark and it's tropical nights. They get really dark and it's in the forest and. And sometimes there would be batteries and sometimes there wouldn't. Sometimes there'd be candles and sometimes there wouldn't. Uh, so just basic things where sometimes you'd get, you know, you, you go to the store to get, uh, say, something like a, a bar of soap for, for bathing. And, and, they, and the store's monk would be cutting bars of soap in half so that it, each monk could get some. Mm. Um, yeah, conditions were, were were quite simple. The food in the northeast of Thailand is is uh, is not uh, not about especially in those days. Um, over time, then there was much more of a gardens and and uh, uh, more say far more vegetables being grown. And uh, uh, yeah, a lot more of the uh, uh, yeah, just basics were, were more more available over time. The economy was was being developed. Uh, yeah, and also besides the 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 uh, uh, kind of the physical conditions, um, say like I never saw such a thing as a zafu until. Uh, you know, like a cushion to sit meditation on f- for years and years. Yeah. Um, you know, you just sit on the floor. Um, all of the uh, the northeasterners, um, you know, they grow up on uh, they grow up on the floor, so they're comfortable sitting sitting on the floor. And uh, yeah, it was was that as a westerner with a a body that uh, you know not very flexible, uh, had to. Mm. Uh, uh, just 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 that physical hardship, and then uh, uh, there was a there was a, rig- a rigorous schedule at times. So that was, but it was the thing is, is you know you're young and it's a, it's all a challenge. So it was was uh, uh, yes, it was difficult, but it was also uh, uh, very satisfying. It felt like really exactly what I wanted to be doing and should be doing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Because um, it was many, there were quite a few Westerners that went to train with Thailand at the time. Not all of them made it. What what got you through that period of time? What kept you going? Well, I think probably uh, um, certainly a, a, a trust in Ajahn Chah um, but then also a, an increasing trust and confidence in the in the efficacy of the of the teachings uh, that this was a really true teaching that that uh, really pointed to a way of peace and and and, and freedom. So it was it was a confidence uh, in the yeah, both in the teacher uh, as well as the. Uh, um, as well as the the teachings themselves being firmly grounded in in in, in truth. Mm-hmm. I'd like to move forward to um, when in the early 
80s, you became the abbot of Nanachat, which for those who don't know, was a branch monastery of um, Ajahn Chah's Wat Long Papong, which catered to Western bhikkhus. How did you come to be abbot of Wat Nanachat? Oh, uh, what is it? A series of unfortunate circumstances? (laughs) I I, I was going to ask. You, you, I was not nine reigns. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was very very young at the time. Although in those days, you know, we just we were all recently like when Ajahn Sumedho became the 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 abbot. I mean, he was just in his going into his ninth year as well. Mm. Um, uh, so, but it was more, uh, 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 I mean, in those days there were a few more senior uh, monks around, but then uh, uh, it was when Ajahn Chah, and that's when, when uh, it was right at the time when Ajahn Chakra was leaving to go to, He'd gotten permission from Ajahn Chah, but the group in Perth, Western Australia, uh, had had got Ajahn Chah's blessing to that he would send, um, say, like uh, Ajahn Jokro with uh, one other monk to 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 go, uh, and uh, so that uh, first monk who went was uh, a monk called Puriso, who went for a year, and then Ajahn Brahm went after that. Hmm. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, Ajahn Jokro was leaving and he had been the abbot of, of Wat Nana Chan. And, uh, so then, uh, Ajahn Chah, I was out at a, uh, kind of a remote branch monastery along the, the border of Laos. I'd spent the rains retreat there and I absolutely loved it. There was a huge forest, about a thousand acre forest that still had plenty of wild animals and it was on it was in a reservoir uh, from a, a power down and so it's very beautiful conditions and uh, uh, and I found it very conducive to meditation so I was making plans to stay which yeah you should never make too many plans as a month and uh, uh, and then uh, the, a letter came uh, to the abbot uh, telling me to, uh, this after the rains retreat, telling me to go back to Wat Nanachat to prepare uh, to um, take on the duties of, of abbot of Wat Nanachat uh, because uh, Ajahn Jokro was going to be leaving. Uh, so that there was Ajahn Chah's... Um, oh initiative and and um, i mean it wasn't a request it was a uh it was sort of uh you know he let me know that's what i was going to be doing (laughs) (laughs) gosh that's a huge uh change and i think coming from a western culture we're not used to that idea that you're going to get ordered more or less to, to do something how did you feel it? How did you feel about it? Well, I felt I felt terrified. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know the idea of of taking on that responsibility, having that duty, and and uh, you know I felt 
uh, I, I felt that Ajahn Chah, I, I also felt that if Ajahn Chah felt I couldn't do it, he wouldn't ask me to do it. Um, mm, true. So, because I had a lot of trust in him and and felt that, that uh, you know, he really understood human nature and uh, and 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 understood yeah us as human beings so i i had that i had the confidence that he knew what he was doing i didn't have the confidence that i knew what i was doing <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. but i felt okay i think i can i can i can you know, we'll just have to make this work it worked out really well though in the sense that they under your leadership, it the what Nanachak grew in size. There was more monks coming to practice there. Yeah, yeah, I think I did okay. <laughs> it's very modest. It's very modest. <laughs> um, um, did you want add say anything else about that? Um, well, it was just just the uh, um, that sense of of. Uh, Right at the timing was also when Ajahn Chah was 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 becoming quite ill, um, mm. so it was a period when uh, he was getting more sick, uh, and uh, um, so on a certain level, um, you know, it couldn't. It wasn't a negotiable um, situation because he was. It was, uh, you know, I don't want to bother him or, or, or uh, uh, put too much onto his plate because he was, yeah, his health was really falling apart at the time. Mm. Right. Mm. Right. So I think, okay, I just got to, I got to do it. So. <clears throat> yeah. And when Ajahn Chah did pass away, you were quite involved in the funeral as well. So that's quite a big position of trust because I believe, you know, I heard a million Thai people came and visited during the uh, funeral period. Ten, ten. Uh, yes. I mean, the funeral period was quite long. Um, and, uh, but yes, there were, uh, you know, yeah, just on the actual day of the funeral, there was about, be somewhere between three and four hundred thousand people. Um, incredible. And then incredible. over that period of the of the funeral, uh, yeah, people were streaming in from all over the country, and and uh, uh, but you know we did uh, one of the things that uh, that we did. It started probably four or five years before Ajahn Chah passed away was we said, you know, we, you know, Ajahn Chah is not going to get better and there's going to be a funeral and it's going to be huge. We've got to start figuring out how to make this work. So there was a, a lot, a, a lot of planning that went into uh, developing the infrastructure to, receive uh, that situation although I think none of none of us could have conceived of how uh, uh, big it was going to be um, but one of the things I did do and I and I I, I, uh, 
I talked with a couple of the senior monks and said, you know, we should really take a group of this of senior monks up. There was a a very senior disciple of Ajahn Mun who passed away, very respected, and his funeral was taking place. I said, we should go up and observe uh, that to see uh, what we we can learn from that. And what we learned was that we had to be organized because it was chaos. And then everybody came back with a, a real strong consensus that, okay, we've, we've, we've got to do something that would honor Ajahn Chah and, and having a chaotic funeral ceremony happen is, is not a, uh, a, 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 a dedication to all of his goodness. <clears throat> and how did how do you feel it went? I would, uh, you know, I mean, of course, I know all the things that went wrong, but 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 in terms of of uh, overall, it was absolutely uh, magical. Um, and, you know, it, it really was able to provide an atmosphere of peace and faith and, and, and introducing teachings and practice to, to so many people. I mean, just the uh, right around the time of the actual cremation, there were about, I think it was about, Five to six thousand monks living in Wapapong, about a thousand, about a thousand nuns, um, and then a little over ten thousand lay people actually camped out in the monastery, uh, and we That's were incredible. able, we were able to provide toilets and showers and food for everybody. As soon as you walked mm. in the monastery. There was no monetary exchange for anything, and we had wow, that's just incredible. Books for free distribution for everybody who wanted them. We had yeah, so and I remember, <laughs> I remember we had. It was it was the like it was just it wasn't quite opened yet, <clears throat> and. Uh, and I think there was about 45, 40, 45 kitchens that, that were uh, volunteer. People had volunteer, different uh, groups and communities um, uh, volunteered to have uh, free kitchens. And they would serve different things and make it available to everybody. And, uh, and we, we uh, a bunch of us who were the organizers, we came up with the idea that it'd be really good for everybody to keep the eight precepts and, and then to make it easier on the kitchens. They just need to pr provide food in the morning and then there just need to be some drinks in the afternoon. And we, we sort of let, let people know that that's what we're thinking. And then, uh, and we had, and by that evening, we had a protest protest March coming down from all the kitchens coming up to meet us. And so, no way are we ha are we we not going to re there's going to be people coming day and night and they should be receiving food <laughs> <laughs> so you had to give in they should be looked at yeah yeah we had to give in it was sort of this it's uh 
That wasn't that wasn't negotiable. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I'd like to move on and just ask a little bit more about your time as abbot of Wapanana Chart. Um, one of the things you're involved in was a model reforestation project. How did this come about, and what motivated you to promote reforestation in Thailand? Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, I was a forest monk living in a forest, and <laughs> true, in- <laughs> so. Uh, and and it's and you go around to different monasteries, branch monasteries, and you, and and, and that was at a time of really rapid transition, and and even on the end of a, quite a rapid transition of of Thailand turning from a a very rural agrarian economy to a a a, a more of an inter trying to get an international. Uh, uh, economy going that had something that so that 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 but part of that was built on on agriculture and that was cash crops and a lot of forests were were completely cut down just for the cash crops of say of of sugarcane or uh, tapioca or uh, jute products and and uh, uh, so that and especially the Northeast of Thailand has very poor soil, so that the soil be depleted and the forest to be gone. Uh, so it was a real loss for everything. Um, so wanting to try to uh, reestablish uh, areas of of nature and and look after the places. Uh, and as well as expanding the, say, just the monastery itself, so that it's a bit more of a, a refuge for people, because that's in 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 Thailand, and uh, and for those people who are, sorry, say, in, in Western Australia, and familiar with with what Bodhiyan, I mean, it's a refuge for so many people, just a peaceful refuge. Mm. And and having these so that that uh, extending the boundaries of the monastery, planting forests, and like I probably quadrupled the size of of the monastery, uh, and uh, did all sorts of planting, and then and then got involved with other areas of of land and and forests that were uh, were being protected, as well as also because the thing is it's not just it's not just forests that you want to pay attention to it's also um you know the villagers villagers need to make a living and and uh, you want to especially when you live in the say live in a forest live in a you know, we're dependent on the village very close contact with the local community and you really get to know the problems that that they they face and and uh, you know part of it is is uh, just sometimes a lack of of knowledge or or education or or some simple resources so that trying to to uh, uh, introduce livelihoods that would help 
supplement the income, their, their income. And that creates a stability in the village culture that is good for everybody. And uh, um, so, yeah, trying to uh, get them in, and also like taking, taking them out to different development projects and get them thinking what would work in our uh, village, what would work in our area. And uh, so, yeah, I, 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 and when they're doing that, then they, they're able to look after the forests a lot more because especially in the northeast of Thailand, the uh, traditionally the forests were really that that was their kind of their, their that was their market. That was their you, you go they would a, tr a traditional diet or or way of life in in northeast of thailand is they would plant a a, a single rice crop uh, and then they would have a small gardens close to their houses uh with just um you know garlic and chilies and and spices and 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 whatnot and 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 the rest of the food was gathered from the forest Right, and and so that's 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 gone now. So then, trying to introduce ways of of uh, that the villagers could be planting things in areas that would um, give them either supplemental income or supplemental nutrition. Um, yeah. That's really um, interesting, like the holistic way of thinking about how everything is connected, and um, yeah, it's like everyone wins. Every everyone wins. Everyone wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, and um, I, I like had good, I had good people helping me out. It wasn't just me. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to turn next to the time. When you're invited to join Ajahn Amaro as co-abbot of the newly established Abiyagiri Monastery in California, how did that come about? Well, um, the, the in America they were <clears throat> the group in in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, um, had the commitment to establish a branch monastery and and. Uh, uh, they knew Ajahn Sumedho, uh because of of his connection to California. His parents um, were in California. He'd go back about once a year to visit them. He was, they were elderly, and so then he was in that was in Southern California. But he'd come up. Uh, Jack Cornfield would invite him up uh, and to uh, to teach, and so that a group of people started to gather who wanted to have a, a branch monastery of, of uh, Amaravati uh, in, uh, in, 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 the, uh, in Northern California. And Ajahn Sumedho felt he couldn't really take it on, so he designated Ajahn Amaro uh, to, uh, uh, to do that. So Ajahn Amaro would come uh, about uh, 
Yeah, about once a year and visit and uh, visit the Bay Area, but visit other areas of uh, Buddhist groups in, in, in America, trying to get a feel for what this strange thing called America was. And uh, so people, there started to be a, a group, groups of people. And then, but they, uh, and then it gets into, say, like early 90s, and say our communities in uh, in Europe were um, they went through a whole period of upheaval and and uh, um, and 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 everybody said let's not commit at all to the place in America. It's just too much. We've got enough on our plate already. We need to consolidate what we have and make sure our communities are stable, which is the right thing to do. And uh, so one of the things, one of the conditions was that, that they wouldn't start anything until they had a, uh, uh, a, a group of, of, of monks, at least four, to start uh, the... Uh, uh, this new venture in America. Uh, around that time in the yeah, beginning of the early 90s, then some of the, the group from the Bay Area were also coming to Thailand. And I was getting to know them. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, which was nice, they're, good, they're very sincere. Um, uh, you know, solid practitioners. So that was, uh, um, it was in inspiring to see this. Um, and, and then there was a period where I went on retreat and ended up in, and, and stayed in England for a year uh, in, in uh, Chitter's Forest for a year, yeah. And, and I had already started to, can think in terms of, uh, you know, in long term of my life, I don't know that 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 uh, maybe I should be trying to uh, be somewhere else and and help in some other way, and but it wasn't really clear in my mind. And then after being in retreat for, ooh, I don't know, almost a year. Um, then uh, Ajahn Amaral came back from a, his, one of his trips to, he just spent the winter uh, with the group in, uh, uh, in, in California. And uh, he was relating the, what was happening and how it was going. And, and, uh, and, and also one of the senior monks uh, from Chithurst, where I was, was, he had spent the, the that time there, so they were saying what they're doing, and then saying how it'd be, uh, you know, this is and kind of oh, when are we ever going to be able to get enough monks to to help, and and uh, and then it then it sort of well, you know, maybe I could help with that, uh, mm -hmm. and so then I uh, approached Ajahn Amaro and. Uh, and said, w "Would you like me to help out?" And and uh, um, Ajahn Amaro, um, when he 
relates the story. He said it, it was, I was talking with him, but I was very uh, hesitant and sort of wasn't quite direct. And he said, oh, what's going on with Ajahn Paso? He's usually really straightforward. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, then, and then when I said, well, when I was broached the subject of maybe helping him out, he said it was, he said, uh, he just about leaped up and kissed me. Because <laughs> 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 it's, it's and, and that was, but I said, the only thing is, is I don't have permission. I haven't got, I've got to go back to Thailand. I've got to get permission from the elders at Watwapong. I've got to make sure that I can pass on the abbotship of what Nana Chat. So it's not a, a done deal. Uh, yeah. you, and uh, you, you, you just you, you can't say anything uh, until that happens. So that, um, and he always he felt a lot of confidence as he went forward and developing plans to keep going because he always felt he had this ace in the back pocket of of Ajahn Pasan <clears throat> ready to help out. So, so yeah, it ended up, and it ended up a wonderful collaboration between the two of us. Because I'd known Ajahn Amaro since, basically since the day he wandered into Wat Nana Chow, as a, as a hippie off the beach. I'd like to ask about what was it like establishing a forest monastery with strict vinya of the forest tradition in the rather more libertarian, if not libertine, California of the 1990s? Yes, I mean it's an interesting juxtaposition. But but you know the thing is 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 uh, how do you say it's strict, but it's not unreasonable, um, and, and 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 there is there's an integrity and clarity there that I think inspires a trust in people because that's, you know, it's also at a time when, and of course, continuing into, you know, just how many spiritual communities had been just torn apart by, by, by fundamental lack of, of precepts and, and integrity. So, uh, yeah, we were the new guys on the block, but, but, uh, um, there was a certain uh, a pull there that 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 was was uh, uh, it, it it was was trusted. Um, they might not even like it at sometimes, but at least it could be okay. They're they're doing something here that's special, that's different. Mm. Um, even though Abiyagiri Monastery is not near a major city, there has been plenty of interest from both lay people and from those wishing to ordain. What do you credit for the successful establishment phase of Abiyagiri Monastery? Well, you know, I just think the, you know, the clarity of, of the teachings, clarity of the lifestyle. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's clear. It, 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 we're, it, we're, we are what we say we are, 
um, that helps. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, we can't really be more than that. Um, but, but it's really good to not be less than that. And, and that, uh, you know, I think it engenders a, a certain trust and, and interest and, and, uh, uh, and there is a, there is a fidelity to the tie for it's, you know, there's, there's obviously because we're in the West and we're in America, there's certain adaptations that one needs to make in the same way that, that uh, say at, at the Bodhiyan, Najim Brahm and the community there, uh, there's adaptations that are made, but there's a, um, there's, there's a fidelity to the, uh, to the, to the tradition uh, from Thailand and the, the greater Buddhist tradition from the time of the Buddha. So it's founded on Vinaya uh, um, and, and the teachings are, are not, hopefully not straying from, from the Buddha's word too far. Yeah. Oh, out of interest, how many monastics are there at Abhayagiri right now? Right now, we've just had a, a little bit of an exodus of, of monks, uh, so starting a movement. But there's about there's about fifteen, about um, fifteen, mm. and then there's three postulants in training and a uh, a novice uh, uh, continuing the training. Yeah, it's going very well. Um, during your time in the United States. How do you think the knowledge and practice of Buddhism has changed? Well, personally, I think it's really maturing a lot. Of course, there's America. You can't say one thing about America. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just everything. That's true. Uh, it's a real mishmash. Um, but the people that are drawn to Abhayagiri are the people that I come into contact with. Um, you know, there's a maturity um, that I see and a sincerity that is is really really quite wonderful, and 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 people are getting into like like right like say today in the monastery, um, it was there's a, I think uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure there's a a brother and sister came uh, to spend a few days in the monastery, which, I mean, it's, there's always people coming to stay and coming and going. <clears throat> and uh, and I think she's maybe 18 and the brother's 16, 17, and they're already practicing Buddhism and, and want to come up mm. here. And it's just, it's, to me, that's amazing. Um, and... Mm. Uh, and so there's a range of of people, um, a range of ethnicities, uh, you know, a range of ages, um, people coming to to practice, and 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 they, I mean, we don't we don't advertise. I mean, people show up because they've heard of us or they've tracked us down uh, through our website through our through, through YouTube channel uh, and and uh, and then they uh, they they show up here <clears throat> in uh, 
2018, you stepped away from the role of Abbot of Abiyogiri, passing the role on to Ajahn Karunadamo and Ajahn Nyanako. Both of these monks are American and have mostly trained in the United States and indeed mostly at Abiyagiri. I wanted to ask you how you feel about this milestone and what do you think it signifies for Buddhism in the US in general that you can now be transferring leadership to monks who have trained mostly in the US? I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm really ha happy about that. I think it's a real sign of the, uh, yeah, the maturing of, of, uh, 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 of Dhamma here in, and Buddhism uh, here in, in America, that, that such a thing uh, is, is taking place. And, and uh, you know, I think it bodes well for, for, uh, uh, for the future. Um, so that, yeah, just having, having the, uh, yeah, homegrown, uh, and, and that's kind of been, uh, you know, Abayagiri has, has, you were so far away from everything that, uh, um, you know, we have had some Thai monks come, but, but, but not so many and not, uh, and it's not so easy for them. And uh, we have had some monks from time to time, say from England who come and spend some time, but the vast majority have all been monks who have begun their training here and uh, and have continued and and we try to send people out as part of their training to have the experience of being in other monasteries whether it's in europe or or in thailand and and uh, uh and it's very heartening that uh, most of them um want to come back and and help out here <clears throat> Um, coming now to the end of the interview, Ajahn, you've lived a life dedicated to the spiritual quest of a Buddhist monk. What advice would you give to someone who's starting out on the Eightfold Path and who may have an interest in ordaining as a monk or a nun? Well, I mean, if you've got an interest, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Simple advice. Simple advice. <laughs> Simple advice. I mean, just, just don't. Don't think about it too much. Don't try to. Don't one is. Don't try to find the perfect monastery. Don't try to find the perfect teacher. Just uh, yeah, yeah. Try this out. Try that out. Try that place out. Try uh, and and see what what feels uh, like a fit. And and uh, uh, but as I said, then you know, don't ex don't think that that there's going to be some perfect place somewhere with a perfect teacher where all you need to do is go there and then you'll uh, the, the, the awake, full awakening will be bestowed on you. That doesn't, how, it's not how it works. <laughs> it's like Ajahn Chah sort of saying, you know, people looking for the perfect place. Uh, it, it's like a, a turtle with a mustache. You're just never going to find it. Never going to find one. You're looking for a turtle with a mustache and never going to find it. Uh, but you have to keep putting the attention on the practice and the training, the inner reflection, the inner contemplation, and and uh, 
uh, and then and and also i think one of the things that's really important because uh, you know as especially in western culture we're so we're, we're such a success oriented well success and failure oriented culture that that the uh, uh but more measuring uh, one's development not in terms of some idea or ideal of success but just how does it feel do i feel more comfortable do i feel more happy in myself do i for feel more peaceful are there more uh, skillful and and beneficial qualities arising in me that's 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 what one wants to be cultivating you know, and sometimes that's difficult and sometimes it's easy sometimes it's quick sometimes it's slow uh, one really has to be patient with the process hmm. that's uh, very wise advice thank you Ajahn, for taking the time to join us on the podcast i really appreciate it and best wishes wonderful talking with you yes and best wishes to you and thank you to all our listeners for joining us for this inspiring episode of Treasure Mountain in which we heard about the spiritual path of Ajahn Pasano. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could share this episode with your friends or other people who could benefit from its sage advice. And don't forget to click the follow button on your podcast app so that you get the latest episodes turning up in your stream. The Treasure Mountain podcast is part of the Everyday Dhamma Network. You can find out more about Treasure Mountain Podcast by going to the link in the show notes for this episode. You can also find out on the Treasure Mountain website information about all the previous episodes and guests, as well as transcriptions of our interviews. And if you go back to the everydaydharma.net homepage, you can discover more about the three other podcasts on the network and links to subscribe to any and all of them as well. I hope you'll join us again on our next episode of the Treasure Man podcast as we seek for the treasure within.